0: hello to everyone tuning into the highly optimized podcast today my name is ryan sprague and throughout this podcast i will be showcasing individuals who are living a life beat to their own drum sharing their stories and revealing their valuable information for you listeners on how you can effectively take life into your own control what steps to take to create your own path and how to maximize your results in manifesting your dreams in this reality joining us today to dive deep into the worlds of nature Farming and more is a man who exemplifies what it means to live off the land and with the land. He's a graduate of Oberlin College, Has an extensive background in farming, having apprenticed with individuals such as Jason Mann, where he learned various methods of farming modalities such as organic and biodynamic farming, and is the owner of Be Here Farm in Nature, a Demeter certified biodynamic farm located at 2,200 feet in elevation on the peak of Spring Mountain in Sonoma, California. From this beautiful land, he cultivates over 300 unique varieties of fruits, vegetables, herbs, and flowers, which he utilizes in his two product lines. Artisanal food products and holistic skincare. So please help me in welcoming Jared Picard to the show. What's up, brother?
1: Hey, amigo. Beautiful <laughs> intro. Thank you Thank so much. You have yeah. a beautiful voice. I dare you to try to use your intro voice for the remainder of this
0: conversation. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've been told many times and I didn't notice it until I started podcasting. People are like, you have a radio voice. And I'm like, interesting. Now I see it. But at first I was like, huh? and it's uh it's really <laughs> funny how those things come out over time you know so yes a challenge accepted you know yeah absolutely man and you know from the first time i heard you on paul checks podcast living 4d i was like man i gotta get in touch with this guy and then it was very interesting because at the same time paul put me in touch with your brother i connected with your brother we had a great time back in i'd say like february or march And then him and I were looking to hook up again in like, I think it was around May and I couldn't make it. I had some other things going on. I was traveling. And so I told him, Hey, this is the week I can come. And I shot him a date and he was like, my brother's going to be here. And I was like, okay, universe sign accepted, you know? And so we got to meet in person nerd out in some farming stuff and i have the opportunity to get you on the show now and i'm so excited to talk about this subject with you because as i know i've chatted with you a little bit before like this is this is my passion you know like farming and organic farming and biodynamic which i'm not huge in and i'm excited to get a little into that um, for sure and tell the listeners what that is and what it looks like but you know this whole idea of cultivating our own food living off the land living with the land is my biggest passion it's so fun
1: yeah I would have to agree. Uh, it's something that I find myself talking about almost everywhere I go because, as you know, we make um, we make a variety of products on the farm, as you said. And so, the thing that differentiates them is typically a, well, there's a variety of things. Like we make them by hand, and we grow the own the ingredients for the products primarily ourselves. And so, the manner in which we grow them ends up being sort of the most interesting differentiator, which is just a widely applicable topic to how we grow our food and medicine in general, or what our connection is to our food, uh, or to the people who are growing our food, or even just to the quality and sort of, for lack of a better word, results of our food. So yeah, I, happy to, to gab. <laughs> yeah right in my sweet spot jared if there's one thing that
0: you probably already figured out about me i love gabbing you know talking it's like my favorite thing you know if you've ever done human design before uh i'm a 5-1 projector i actually I think I was the one that spread that last time I came to Jason's house, everyone there was like, we know our pattern now. And, and yeah. you know, Kara's telling me all about the different patterns in the house. And I was like, wow, this is so awesome. So you That's might cool. actually know your human design.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I feel I feel foolish almost. I, I keep hearing everyone talking about their human design and I, I, get, I haven't uh, gotten my reading or whatever it would be called <laughs> yet. So yeah. I'll look, it okay. sounds like one of those things that tells you exactly what you know about yourself. So yeah. I might be able to guess it was, you know, it was
0: one of those things that when I first found out about it, it was eerie. So I'll connect you with my girlfriend. She does like amazing readings and uh, she would love to give you a reading. So I'll connect you with her. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Yeah. I knew my opportunity would come. Absolutely. You know, and you know, it's really funny because what I just thought of there is like flow, right? Like the opportunity comes with flow, flowing with ease and grace into life. And That's a lot what I see in farming. It's it's a lot of like, okay, this happened. Now, what are we going to do, right? It's a lot of flowing. It's a lot of feminine energy living off the land. And I'm curious, you know, for someone like you who I know was in finance, I believe, uh, originally, right, like some type of stock market thing, and I'm not extremely huge on that, so I might be butchering terminology here, but, but, you know, someone who was into finance... What was the journey of you getting into farming? You know, how did that begin? Was it a lifelong love of yours that you then were able to start later on? Or did the passion come and be cultivated later on in your life?
1: Yeah, that's a a fair question. Um, The answer is I had no experience with agriculture. And I think when I say experience, I really even meant exposure. I had no exposure to agriculture. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey. And then after college, I lived in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And it's ultimately actually, interestingly, in the city in Manhattan and Brooklyn, where I got my first exposure to really fresh food, thankfully, due to the conveniences of living in a city, obviously not due to actual exposure to the agriculture. But I was able to join a CSA. And, and, and then my interest was really peaked. I ended up visiting the farm that was the... The grower of the CSA and they were out in Long Island. And so, yeah, up until the age of I think about 27, 28, uh, I had no exposure to agriculture other than like annual sort of things with my family, like pumpkin picking, apple picking stuff. That's like not, you know, not really exposure (laughs) to agriculture per se. Uh, we went on a vacation. I want well, you right. I was working on the floor of the stock exchange. And it's not like that was a particular lifelong pursuit or yeah. passion either. <laughs> Basically, I found myself, uh, my brother was four years, is four years older than I am. And I sort of followed in his footsteps is my recollection of growing up. Like I remember playing the sports that he played, playing the mu playing the drums because he played them, stuff like that. And basically, I didn't have much direction. Uh, when I came out of Oberlin College, I was able to get uh, a variety of job interviews and ultimately an internship as a result of people that my dad and brother, who my, my brother had now followed suit and uh, take, taken on a career in the same industry as my dad had, was working towards retiring from at that time. And so I was able to get some interviews. I got a position, an internship on the floor of the Stock Exchange, and that turned into a three-year uh, job that I, I maintain there. And I suppose I had this idea that there was this mysterious career that I couldn't quite foresee that was going to be super financially successful on Wall Street, at which point I was then going to retire and start focusing on My passions, which I knew sort of even prior to exposure to the things I'm about to share, like little glimpses of entrepreneurial spirit in my life, you know, besides lemonade stands. And I used to go around and watch the neighbor's cars, like four hour details with Q-tips and stuff on the tires, like really intense details when I was nine, but in college, I had a, a glimmer of thought of trying to purchase this failing restaurant that everybody loved, that the owner was trying to uh, unload. And even though there was no reality to that situation, it was like this the desire was there. And so by the time I'm 2007, 2008, basically, I get exposed to a variety of new things. And it's really almost directly thanks to first my brother, but he had been working with a Czech practitioner and he had just lost like a hundred pounds. My brother was very morbidly obese at this time, like well over 300 pounds. Yeah. And I, I don't even know how this size, when you look at photos, you just can't even tell that it's the same person. Cause you've met my brother. He's extremely yeah. you know, healthy and fit. I could never um, imagine him overweight. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just seems like another lifetime ago. And so I sort of looked at him and got pretty interested in the transformation, started working with the Czech practitioner. And I thought I was going to a personal trainer. Mm. Like my mom was a personal trainer growing up. Uh, I, you know, you go there to work out and get fit, but I start learning about, you know, your listeners might be sort of speak the Czech language a little bit. Right. So like I start learning about working out and working in, uh, you know, that's a totally novel concept. I start learning about mindfulness practice and seeing a, actually a medit, like a, a meditation teacher. And I started learning about organic food. Up Mm. until this point, I'm I'm eating like reduced fat food, low (laughs) carb, reduced fat, like snack wells, egg beaters, processed, reduced fat food of the 90s. That's what I was raised on. And then I started eating just total junk food and disgusting stuff when I got to college because of all the sort of restrictions of not having that stuff throughout my childhood. Uh, I just really unloaded and I myself became very obese. So learning about these new things, I mean, it was as simple as that. I'm moving differently. I'm eating differently. Mindfulness, I'm thinking differently. I'm a completely different person. You know, six, 12 months go by, I'm a completely different person. Mm -hmm. And I become aware of what I'm interested in for the first time in my life, I would say, around the age of 28. I start realizing that I'm really into food and cooking and then ultimately sourcing. I, I became obsessed with tracking down where the food was coming from. And that's sort of like that's one of the things that you you learn about when they when they when you start learning about, you know, slow food or local food or organic food or healthy food or whatever. You start learning, oh, learn where your food comes from, you know, get to know the farmer. I took that really seriously. I really started going to visit these farms. We started planning our vacations like near farms so that we could just have these ingredients and then take a week off from work and like make butter in the kitchen and like, (laughs) you know, uh, I don't know, other examples that I'm not coming up with now, but uh, <laughs> we just became obsessed with it. But then the relationship with the farms really ultimately turned into, I mean, it led to me quitting my job and taking on a farming apprenticeship. But the, where I was going with that is that the, the diving into the farm, which then led to farming really was sort of like a nature connection thing. That's what I, in retrospect, can see mm-hmm. that I never really had. It's why certain things from my youth, like skiing uh, and like skiing down a mountain and just kind of stopping and like having sort of real unity feeling with Mm. my surroundings, you know, much more profound religious experiences than I ever found in, say, Hebrew school. Um, And so having those connections with nature were like rare when I was, you know, for the first 30 years of my life. And then thanks to farming, I mean, it really and thanks to farming, you know, without chemicals and usually machinery, you really have to get into that flow of nature that you're talking about. And that's actually sort of like what I'm after, where I think my major healing and transformations came from and sort of what our brand for lack of a better word or farm or just our family in general, because this business is our life. We live on the farm. um, So it's really just our life purpose at this point is to help facilitate that connection with people that was so transformative for us. And it it's like, it's not just a single-minded goal of like nature connection, because it's really a very positive feedback situation. I mean, like, it's genuinely good for the planet. The the, the manner in which we're, we're treating the land is genuinely positive for the land. And then that sort of has... A positive impact on everything that's on the land from microorganisms to wildlife to to watersheds and you know forest health and that impacts my neighbors and just from a certain perspective it impacts everything right and so uh the the workers involved in this system are in like a, a healthy enriching environment as opposed to Typically, food production is like one of the most dangerous and like atrocious sort of environments and, and and worst paying and high suicide rates and you know stuff like that. A lot of underage, undocumented workers in California in particular, but without, you know, typical labor protections. That's farming, right? But in a small regenerative farming system, it's usually people who have an ethos around caring for all levels of life that includes the farm workers and ultimately that includes Includes uh, the end user, the consumer, right? So the system of food, and if your medicine is coming from Whole Foods, you know your medicine is produced nowadays, generally speaking, industrially. I mean, on the whole, that's a fair statement. Of course, everybody has examples of like farms and farmers markets that they can get access to, or find at the farmers market if they're so lucky. Maybe even at a grocery store, but. Just speaking on the whole, 1% of U.S. farmland is certified organic. That's a very small amount. Yes. And you might say, but Jared, that's millions of acres. And, you know, okay, but it's first of all, it's still 1%. So obviously there's room for improvement. But second of all, organic, I mean, what does that mean? So in the 70s, really going all the way back to. So first of all, just to like get this out of the way up front all of these systems of farming which now are getting called regenerative or you know in certain up until a certain point has been called organic or sustainable they all stand on the shoulders of you know the giants of the indigenous you know traditions that that come before them it's only they only have names and sound like they started at world war ii and stuff like that in a context of a post-industrialized society that had been long separated from a reverence for those traditions, so much so that they were essentially lost, marginalized, exterminated. And so then it's like, okay, well, then that society went down a long train of mechanization and colonization and extractionism and urbanization and industrialization. And, you know, now what you know, technologization, whatever. <laughs> like we just basically. made a word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't. You know, you know where I'm going. But yeah, yeah. So organics comes about basically in an industrialized world, in an industrialized society, in response to chemical agriculture, which starts around World War II and really ramps up around World War World War One and really ramps up around World War Two and just keeps going. You know, every time there's a war, basically a novel invention is then pivoted towards food. So like in mm-hmm. World War One, we have liquid pneumonia for the first time and that just pivots and becomes how we make uh, fertilizer. Mm-hmm. World War II, we developed the insecticides for the concentration camps to gas people that immediately, you know, pivots towards agriculture, same factories, same chemicals, et cetera. Uh, and then DDT, you know, famously uh, used uh, for Vietnam and just generally in the American sort of household at that time is really pushed by the Department of Ag and all of the sort of smartest minds at the time as the absolute best solution. Um, so these wartime chemicals, basically, that's chemical ag. Organics is in a response to that. So more ecological solutions, more appropriate technologies, too, like solar power, composting, you know, rainwater harvest, stuff like that. It, it's a pretty broad ethos. You know, it's pretty good. It, it really cares about all the levels of life and it focuses on soil health and you know the 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 cycles of the soil web and that's how you develop clean healthy food and so on as it grows in popularity from the 70s 80s 90s finally being codified as the USDA organic you know a word that they own and define it it loses all of those original ethos, right? So now it's just a list of chemicals to use or not use, mm-hmm. and some of the options are not that impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, like basically it lost all of its other requirements in terms of biodiversity, soil health, wildlife, you know, toxicity, etc. If you want to achieve the bare minimum of that, like of course a huge large industrial monoculture style farm would, then you have exactly what I just described and a monoculture, even though it's being treated with organic certified fertilizers and chemicals is not a healthy ecosystem. You never see that. Right. And so that the health of the soil and the health of the plant is the health of the whole system. And so you need to have this biodiverse living system in order for there to be healthy plants growing inside it, especially over time, like Mm -hmm. season to season to season. Otherwise you could imagine it really declining, especially if you're growing the same thing in the same space, mining the same land in the same particular way for the same nutrients uh, in the exact same way. And so where that puts us is if you go back to that 1% of us farmland, that's certified organic, an overwhelming majority of it is industrial organic. So that puts it at an even smaller smidgen of places that are practicing truly regenerative styles of agriculture, and they're doing it under a name that sounds the same as the other one. So yes. you thinking, I'm a consumer, I want to do the best for my family, I want to get healthy food, I've learned about organic. That's where I started, right? I want to go find organic food. Well, now I'm telling you that some organic food is grown in an industrial monoculture mm-hmm. and that monocultures don't produce nutrient-dense food. Mm-hmm. So now you're thinking, well, why, why am I paying extra for this? And how do I find the right stuff? That's a good question. So yeah. the answer is, <laughs> is that, like I said before, there's there's probably indigenous communities all around the world that are still practicing traditional methods. And then there's what you call regenerative farms. There's other words for that like agroecological. In our case, we're certified in biodynamics, like Mm -hmm. we said, biointensive, permaculture, Korean natural farming. Mm -hmm. Um, You hear a lot of different terms that all have different sort of slightly nuanced ways of achieving more or less similar things. And we can certainly talk about biodynamics and maybe you could even share about Korean natural farming, but because I know you're introducing me to some stuff that I wasn't familiar with, and I'm excited to learn more. But, you know, uh, besides the specific little, mm, I don't know, like sprinkles on top, the base of these ice cream sundaes, uh, (laughs) it's like, what's on my mind? Okay, Jared, Uh, the base base of these ice cream sundaes is pretty similar. And so there's biodiversity, you're not going to see a single cash crop where we're growing this one thing and then we've killed everything else in the field because we're growing this one thing. Mm-hmm. So you'll see a huge diversity of things. They die and decompose into a huge diversity of soil litter, which cycles through the soil webs. and there's, you know, various interesting interactions that is, you know go way beyond my understanding of soil science mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. between the atmosphere, the moisture, the living biology and the plants and their ability to photosynthesize sunlight and all working in harmony together in this living ecosystem that is truly living. In our case, we had a fire roll over the farm in September. So we lost all of our barns, all of our equipment, all of our irrigation, our well, our power line, variety of vehicles, all of our biodynamic preps. Those are the medicines we make to replace chemicals which we don't purchase for the farm even organic ones we make them from scratch we could talk about that too yeah. and um basically if you were to look at it in industrial monoculture like like uh in california you can drive up and down highway five and see thousands of you know miles in every direction of industrial farming if their irrigation went down and it was 110 degrees like in september and there was no rain for months to come their crops would die extremely quickly Six months after the fire, I was harvesting heads of cauliflower that were just baby little plants at the time of the flower with no farmers and no irrigation tending to them up, you know, over that period of time. The soil was resilient to the fire, remained alive, and the biology continued to support itself. So that's what a regenerative farm is after. They're trying to have a biodiverse situation of soil that is alive, covered by things that are living or and or dying. And then we're not going to disturb it as much as possible. We're not going to rip it open and till it. We're not going to flip over the whole field every single time we want to plant a crop and sort of disturb that whole web of life. We're going to say, "Okay, whoa, look at this. We've established something just mind-blowingly complex." Too complex for me, <laughs> frankly, to understand. Yeah. Let's not disturb it. Let's support it in known ways, like by, by treating it with these homeopathic medicines that we create, and in your case, by maybe inoculating stuff from the forest and fermenting other items to make biologically active soil treatments. Let's do stuff like that. Let's add compost that comes from a clean source. And otherwise, let's just not disturb this. Mm-hmm. and over time what happens is that it it, it like a healthy human it, didn't, it it i feel like i've been getting a little bit healthier every single year since i've made these discoveries about how to really treat myself nicely and and how to take care of myself in a holistic way and the farm really does the same thing when you have a healthy ecosystem like that sure does the farm get like a pimple or a belly ache every once in a while yeah but nothing ever really arises in the farm except the catastrophic fire you know (laughs) know, nothing ever really arises in the farm that's really too much of an issue you know neighbors down the road will be like what do you do about the aphids and we'll just you know we'll be like i don't know are they really a problem for like what's the problem like but because when you have such a biodiversity of life going on that biodiversity continues at sort of all possible levels, and so these critters and these fungus and these things—they all just sort of keep themselves in check. Yes. Um, yes. And then the the medicines that we make, that a few of them are able to, or some people use all of them in this way. They're, they're mostly made and then added to the compost pot. The compost pile is, of course, added to the field, and then you're planting, you know, in the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of them are either sprayed on the field or sprayed on the crops. And then one in particular, the horsetail prep, uh, also the the quartz crystal prep, otherwise known as the silica prep. uh, And then other people have really expanded their imagination as to how these preps can be used. Some people are even taking them internally in homeopathic amounts like there. So people are really at liberty to, to develop their practice, but Mm. So sometimes they can be used sort of like a spot treatments. Like if you do sort of say, oh, there's, there's, there appears to be some sort of fungus or something, you know, you could spray one of these preps to bring in the qualities of, of sunlight or dryness, you know, different, there's different qualities basically that stand behind these medicines. And they're, they're, so they're, they're, it's almost like, um, like when you get acupuncture and they speak to you very generally on, you have, you know, a lot of heat here, excess this, and, So it's all a sort of a balancing act, which is generally happening sort of on its own. It's generally keeping itself in balance because it's a healthy ecosystem. That was beautiful, (laughs) man. I mean, you explained that
0: so well, and I wrote quite a few notes too, you know, really like going back to the beginning of your journey when you were getting into organic food, what the the similarity I drew from my own life too was that as you start to eat healthier, you don't notice it when you're in it and you're eating unhealthy food, right? Because it's kind of the norm, right? Especially in college, like everyone is just, and when you're younger too, you know, you still think you're invincible. You don't really understand a lot about, you know, the impact of these things, but what starts happening is the clouds start leaving. You know, it's like you shook up a snow globe and it finally starts settling. You can actually see like, oh, I feel better when I eat that way oh I don't feel good when I eat that right and I'm curious you know just in general like how many people right now are in that haze you know just think about that for a second how many people have never gotten out of that haze I mean I think about you know uh, your college was in Ohio and and every time I drive I go to a music festival most years Mm -hmm. called Electric Forest and it's like It's fine in Massachusetts, it's fine even in a little bit of New York. And as soon as I get to Ohio, it's like, the only two things you can get are like McDonald's, or like some other terrible fast food option. So I always make sort of stock up on organic food before I go there. And the Midwest is famous for that. And it's also the number one place for industrial agriculture. And the way I think about it, and the way I explain it is monoculture, right? Like, in nature, nature has a an ability to keep the right things around, to balance everything out, right? And this is a huge problem in cannabis farming right now, right? Like this is why, I mean, you know, most of my experience, as you know, is with cannabis and, you know, these people are growing indoors or even outdoors, right? They're growing only cannabis plants. And they're like, why am I getting aphids? It's like, because you don't have pepper plants and other things around, banker plants, you know, all these things that naturally ward off or give these predators other places to go. So you can look at your pepper plants, for instance, and say, ooh, those have mites. So you know what? They're going to be coming soon to cannabis, right? And then from there, you can then, you know, make the correct decisions and use the right products, the right enzyme sprays or whatever to get those remediated. But it's very interesting because these days it's like, what does organic even mean? That's the thing that I think about a lot. It's, you know, organic was a term that, for instance like you were saying before world war one world war two back in ancient times we'll say right like organic was just the only way and now basically organic in theory means hey this wasn't grown with poison and that begs the question why is there even an option to have food grown with poison and it shows just how much you know we've we've left brained the food thing right i mean you know i heard paul talking about the other day that people are now thinking about 3d printing food right and it's this disconnect like it's like listen guys Food is not just to fill your tummy so your tummy doesn't feel hungry. Like it's actually fuel, right? And the quality of that fuel matters. I mean, I know this will be a terrible analogy, but I love analogies like that ice cream analogy. I was like, Jared, we're best friends, man. (laughs) But like when you go to a gas station, if you have a nice car and you put 87 in it, how is it going to run, right? Like you're looking for 93 or above, right? You want something that's high quality. Now, of course, gasoline has its own thing, but imagine the analogy here. And so with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really like what we're talking about, you know, when I heard you breaking down what all of these different certifications are, you know, like dragonfly earth medicine certified, Korean natural farming, biodynamic farming, all of these things they're they're really, I believe quality individuals attempts to say, Hey, that thing, we don't want to be associated with like, say USD organic, because it only means one guy or a team of people decided, OK, most people that they're not farmers, right, they have no idea what this world is. They say, OK, you can use these things and you can't use these things because these scientific studies, which are most likely bought out and paid for anyway by the companies that are in part of the study, are saying these are safe. These are unsafe. I mean, it's so funny, you know, here in Massachusetts, the cannabis industry allows certain things and and doesn't allow other certain things. Like if you try to put K&F, Korean natural farming in a dispensary, they're going to say that's mold you know, and then they're going to fail a test. But say if you have something like, um, you know, azadirachtin right, which is derived from neem, which isn't inherently bad, though, when you're spraying it on something, you're going to uh, combust, you know, it's a whole new, like ball game than putting it on tomatoes or something that you're going to eat. And so they allow that, right, because they're not looking at the studies and going further into it. And it just shows this huge disconnect. And it really shows the whole idea of, conventional farming is really just the classic example of coming from scarcity or abundance, right? Scarcity is we need to grow this for as cheap as possible, spend the least amount of time on it and get the biggest yield, right? And what does that come at the cost of? Okay, sure, maybe your first year growing with like, you know, synthetic nutrients or whatever, you might get a bountiful harvest, but by the third year, especially if you're growing in the same spot, you're gonna be getting depleted yields, you're gonna be crushing your soil. I mean, how much of our soil is now dirt? Because that's what a lot of people don't understand. Dirt and soil are two different things, right? Soil is what you were talking about. It's a living, breathing ecosystem. It has mycorrhizae in it that is connecting it to every single thing. So if this tree needs nutrients, this one can send it to it, right? I mean, it is the communication channel, the highway that is underneath us all. And so these are the things that, once again, you know, humans, I feel, are more disconnected than ever, right? And that's why you know, what happened last year I see as a huge gift in priming, right? Because hopefully it will allow for people to become reconnected to the land once again. And I love
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really in a nutshell what we're after, frankly. I mean, there's basically present day a gap between us and nature. And the gap is the food industry, the pharmaceutical industry, doctors, estheticians, you know, uh, aromatherapy experts, like every kind of professional, skincare companies, every single kind of professional that's because we're generally not living on homesteads, like totally tapped into the flows of nature. So we have these businesses and people standing between us and we've sort of outsourced it to them on uh, on a society, you know, society as a whole has. And so prior to... Uh, this shift from the right brain to the left brain when we were actually immersed in nature and didn't have the grocery store or the pharmacy, we had to uh, relate with nature in a way that would allow us to survive. Sometimes, in the case of emergencies, like life-threatening emergencies, we had to save our, our wives and children, et cetera, with herbs and and you know things from the wild, barks, et cetera. And we had to follow, you know, perhaps we had to follow herds of animals around at a certain, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. this relationship uh, doesn't result in like in the beginning, I would take issue from your introduction, which I can't take issue with it because it's on my, it's on our website right now. But I don't think about us as making like skincare products and culinary products, you know, it's like we are uh receiving an unbelievable bounty of abundance from this land through our direct relationship with it and yes sometimes it takes the form of skincare products sometimes it's like a jam or a vinegar or culinary product sometimes it's for the bath or the house sometimes maybe it's more medicinal like a tincture and yet from an ancestral perspective these were all one thing so these same cornerstone uh, items were food, medicine, religious sacrament, uh, you know, protection during certain seasonal holidays, you know, from from demons. Like right now, we're at the summer solstice, and the summer solstice is the the name of our signature product, the summer solstice serum. Mm-hmm. The reason why is because the the prime ingredient is wild St. John's Wort, which only grows during the summer solstice, and so historically this flower would appear and it would be strung up on garlands and stuff like that and hung around windows and doorways and, and used as a, a form of protection. Also is infused in the manner in which, in which we do it mm. into an oil so that it can be used um, year round in particular because the St. John's where only comes at the summer solstice. So it's almost like this flower is a picture of exactly what's happening right now. It's like peak sunlight, And if you Google wild St. John's wort, you'll see the flower. It's this bright yellow flower that sort of looks like the sun. It's really just a snapshot of this peak light experience that we're having right now. And then, of course, every day it's going to head towards the winter solstice. And so they would make this oil just like we do. And it helps bring, from an energetic perspective, of course, it has sort of practical, topical uses, but from an energetic perspective, it brings that light. And so it's great year round, but it's perhaps like most needed, maybe even in the winter um, and in times of maybe just emotional winters and emotional darkness. That's so interesting, you know, and it really shows what the
0: opportunity is here, right? Which is to understand that we have everything we need. We just need to understand how to actually make it happen, right? And the way you do that is not necessarily with structure or saying, okay, this is this is how much we need to get per year, you know, and all of those things. And I'm not saying those metrics are useless. However, when you look at them in the place of, hey, what is really, what is actually needed right now? What can we use on this land right now? What can we what can we give back to the land right now? When we look at metrics instead of those and we leave them in place of, that's when things get challenging, right? Because again, the left brain wants to be the calculator, wants to be analytical. It wants to, you know, ask these questions, but it's it's a little bit like a sociopath in a way, right? Like it doesn't really have an emotional awareness, right? Like the right brain does. And so it's very interesting that you see this happening you know, over the last, you know, a couple thousand years, as we've got more and more left brained, where people are like, food is just function, right? Like, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be healthy, it just needs whatever's going to give me the biggest things. And that's a perfect example, right? Well, how can you say it's like, this tomato is now this big, so it must be better. It's like, Bigger is not better, you know, it's, it doesn't mean it's nutrient dense, you know, Paul talks about this a lot. And I, I imagine, I think he talked about it in your episode, you know, one head of lettuce back before, like, I think it was 1930 or whatever, had the amount of nutrients that now f- you'd have to eat 50 heads of lettuce to get the same amount of nutrients, you know, that one so, head of lettuce had.
1: This is something that I, I have been talking a lot about recently, but there's actually a website, an organization that people can check out called the real food campaign.org. Mm-hmm. And um, they've they've developed like a prototype for a spectrometer um, that I think has 21 crops that it can test now. And they're testing the nutrient density and the variance in nutrient density between the available foods that we as Americans can buy. So, for example, in 2019, I think they tested from 600 some odd farms across America, grocery stores, farm stands, wherever they could find it, 600 different sources, carrots. The polyphenols available in carrots, the percent difference from the worst performing carrot to the highest performing carrot is 20,000% difference. So you'd have to eat 200 carrots to eat the amount of polyphenols present in one of the worst performing carrots. And spinach was 35,000% variant. So 350 pieces of spinach to equal, that was an antioxidant test, to equal the antioxidants present in one leaf of, let's say, biodynamically grown spinach. And interestingly, I think you and others will probably find this interesting. Um, the one of the worst performing um, methods, time and time again, is hydroponics, mm-hmm. uh, yes. which which is is um, certified as organic, much mm-hmm. to you know the dismay of a lot of outdoor soil growing organic farmers, uh, and basically all those sort of nuanced relationships that we were discussing of a farm and an ecosystem in in biodynamics we call it the farm individuality the farm is an individual living being that's also interconnected to the living earth everything is viewed as a sentient living being and yet the farm is sort of imagined as a person like i was saying earlier an individual you know that sure it has hiccups and farts and burps but it's it's generally a healthy individual and its components, the, its, the requirements for its health generally come from within itself. That's another interesting aspect of biodynamics. And some other sort of, I'm just trying to, I just wanted to remember to like differentiate what specifically, you know, biodynamics does. But besides all the regenerative practices that we were describing, there's also just the underlying philosophy of it, which is sort of, the philosophy of anthroposophy in general which is Rudolf Steiner's um, self-described spiritual science but you know you might say like a body of wisdom there's people all around the world who uh, study Rudolf Steiner's work my daughter has been enrolled in Waldorf school system since she was a little kid which is also inspired by Rudolf Steiner's teachings there's a variety of other ways he's influenced society and there's a, a, a university and community in Switzerland um, known as the Goththeam where it's essentially a university dedicated to this work anthropos- anthrop- anthroposophy. And so biodynamic farming is the farming method of anthroposophy, let's say. Mm. and um, so at, originally there was a you know a science, Uh, department, uh, various department, arts department, and then the agricultural department at the Gerteneum developed and tested the original sort of protocols for biodynamic farming after a series of lectures that Rudolf Steiner gave in 1924, and then sort of codified it as the first holistic sort of modern day, this was 1928, um, certification for what, you know, you might call like organic farming um but it was biodynamic farming and this biodynamic history i mean i know you're sort of interested in it so and i usually don't talk about this because it's like people usually don't care as much but, i'll hear about it on this for um, hours jared <laughs> i, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to geek out for one second because there's this sort of like thread that generally goes unspoken but it's interesting about biodynamics because one of the next things that gets talked about would be in, in like in the Western sort of history of organics is, uh, Lady Eve Belflor and Sir Albert Howard, uh, put out books in 1940 and 1943 that kind of make them the godfather and godmother of modern, you know, organic agriculture. Mm -hmm. And so a year prior, there was a book, uh, Put out by this guy named lord northbourne which when i just recorded with paul i gave paul a copy of that book because he loves old books yeah so i I got a new one in his library that wasn't there (laughs) and so i think 1939 or 1940 this guy it's called look to the land by lord northbourne this is actually the first time ever that somebody coins the word organic this Mm. guy's a biodynamic farmer in the uk coins the word organic has aaron fried pfeiffer who's one of the like sort of main people at the uh, Girthanaeum working for Steiner. And then after Steiner's death is one of the sort of leaders. Of course, there's eventually internal sort of rift between the community, but really <laughs> <laughs> one of the leaders. And um, he comes and gives the first biodynamic lecture at in Kent in 1939. And th- this is a small community of people. So basically there's this huge biodynamic conference in the UK months or a year before Sir Albert Howard and Lady Belfort put out the the work from this community. Mm. And so, and, the, and they're quoting Lord Northbourne in the book, Lady Belfort is quoting Lord Northbourne, a biodynamic farmer in the book. So it's like biodynamics has been around now since 1928, and is starting to sort of creep up and influence things a little bit. The next sort of leap is um, I think 1960 through nine, eight, three, I can't remember, but in the sixth. Rachel Carson puts out a book, famous book that the name's going to come to me in a second, but it's it's what blew the lid off of DDT. Um, And the name's not coming to me, but it's a super famous book that Rachel Carson wrote in the 60s. And it's what eventually blows the lid off of DDT and sort of makes it banned from domestic use. That book in the very beginning says that it was inspired by the story of three Long Island farmers. What happened was there were these two biodynamic farmers who were disciples of that same guy, Aaron Fried Pfeiffer, who is now who 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 left, I think during World War II and came to this, to New York, which is why there's a strong community of biodynamics in New York till present day, is because of these original people who came over and brought it. But two of his disciples, DDT was sprayed by the state onto their farm. And they were living out in the woods, biodynamic farmers. They had chemical sensitivities. That's why they developed this way of life. They were looking to live clean. And they considered that all their crops and animals had been had been destroyed, ruined by the chemicals. They sued the state of New York, Spock versus the state of New York, Roberts and Spock versus the state of New York. They lost, but they spent like a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars of this biodynamic community to fight the state of New York, and they lost but they sent all those documents to Rachel Carson who wrote this book and blew the lid off of DDT. So sort oh, of inspiring wow. so that that moment, it, the Rachel Carson book is credited as waking up the first time a global environmental protection consciousness. So it was the first time that we were like, no, as a world where we can't be like, you know, we got to protect the environment. We can't mm. spray DDT. And so there's this like biodynamic kind of kindling underneath that moment as well. Mm. And then, uh, farm people who relocate after world war ii the first uh, csa which is like i said how i got introduced to agriculture personally in the city and i think csa's are phenomenal um the first csa i forget i think it was in 84 maybe in new york was a, a biodynamic farm in, in upstate new york and csa's is you know one of the only chances a small diversified farm has of of really making it because they get their money generally up front and it's more secure sort of stable way for a small farm to, to sell uh, the bulk of their produce, especially produce that like, one of the things that I loved about my CSA is that I didn't know what was in the box. Then I had to research what these weird Asian vegetables were, (laughs) figure out how to cook them. And then that sparked my passion in cooking, frankly, was was the veg the weird getting the weird vegetables in the CSA box. So anyways, that was a little rabbit hole about, how biodynamics has been around since the 1920s and offers an interesting solution to holistic, you know, agriculture, as well as the variety of other fields uh, like architecture, education, healing art forms, homeopathy. And uh, yet it's generally sort of ignored and underexposed and uh, often ridiculed, actually, marginalized.
0: Yeah. And it, you know, it makes perfect sense, too. If you look at anything that really helps is is marginalized, is completely put down. I mean, you look at like, for instance, cannabis for so many years was like the devil. I mean, a whole new term marijuana was created to get. I mean, it's really racist, actually. It's it was really to scare white people, right? They they said that black jazz musicians were stealing white women and all this crazy stuff, right? Yeah. And they basically what they did was they got marijuana outlawed overnight by allowing people to think it was a different term. They didn't know it was cannabis, right? And and that's a whole other wormhole we could go down. But you know, the the one of the things I heard there with your CSA boxes, right, is the whole idea that passion is cultivated, not just found, you don't just wake up and like, oh, there's my passion, you know, like, you, you might say, hey, I'm interested in that. And then like, it's it's just like a romantic relationship, you know, you might see someone you're attracted to. And if you guys connect, right, that's not the end. It's not like, okay, cool, married and good. I mean, maybe that's happened. But in most cases, it takes some work to get there, right. And it's, and work, we could exchange out for love, right? Like, I, I like to interchange those words, because work has a weird connotation It you think about like factories and whatnot, so I like to use love instead. But you know, I heard a really interesting take. You know, right now there are so many uh, uh, health crises, you know, in in the country and, and in the world, especially. And one of those is like parasite infections, right? And people are talking a lot about like, you know, oh, I have a parasite infection. I have a parasite infection. Well, I heard this really interesting theory. I believe it was on one of Paul's new podcasts where basically they were saying that the body is actually smart and parasites are actually there to help us. And the whole theory was that our soils are depleted. So they don't have the nutrients and then the plants that grow them don't have the nutrients and then the animals that eat the plants don't have the nutrients. And so when our body is eating those animals or eating those plants, it's saying, hey, awesome, we're going to get, you know, calcium, which has a plus two charge. And then they eat the they eat the product and they're like, we didn't get any charge. So they're like, all right. The body goes what else has a plus two charge oh lead does okay cool we're we'll bringing heavy metals and so the body starts accumulating all these heavy metals and the parasites actually come in to remediate that and 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 like soak up the heavy metals essentially and remediate that and huh. so it's just it's so interesting you know like how nature works and really it all comes back to food supply you know it all comes back to this and that's why you know, I, I, I firmly believe these conversations are imperative, right, to get out into the world, to show people, hey, you can do this, too. And you can do it in your backyard. And yes, you can make a difference. Right. There are things you can do. I mean, you know, from permaculture, we know on one acre of land. I mean, you can make a lot of food, you know, especially for if it's just for your family.
1: Just, just to interrupt, yeah. we, we, are, we are only farming uh you know we might be farming on a two or three acre space but we're actively under production probably something pretty close to an acre Mm -hmm. and i mean you you can produce an ungodly amount of food on on an acre i mean Mm. you could produce a crazy amount of food in a 10 by 10 space you could you could produce an interesting amount of food in pots yeah absolutely
0: well it's and it's so funny you mentioned hydroponic too because again I'll, i'll get on the cannabis soapbox here but it's so ridiculous how many growers are like oh look at these yields i'm getting these recirculating deep water culture systems and i'm like it's just shit like it doesn't have any soul to it right and this is like the big disconnect i feel too with food in general cannabis medicines anything right that plants are sentient right and this is the whole like challenging argument that I find for vegetarians, right? They're like, well, we don't want to hurt animals because they're conscious. It's like, do you think plants aren't
1: conscious? Like, I'm like, am I not supposed to say this right now? Is this going to ruin someone's also, life? I mean, if they're eating conventionally grown vegetables, it's devastating the earth, including, absolutely, including real animals. Yeah. like <laughs> It's one of the more destructive practices we have. And so yeah. I like, in our in our industry where we're selling these skincare products, you know, we're up against people that are advertising things as let's say vegan. What does that even mean? It's made out of it's made out of plants. Okay. <laughs> vegan. Cool Great. Yeah. It's like, all right, let's dig into that one. Yes. <laughs> Unless they were grown like this. I mean, it's a pretty cool, pretty cruel world out there. Like even on a biodynamic farm, sometimes we're we're trapping certain animals and and you know. If there's a coyote killing the chickens, like, we have to, we have to, you know. Take care of it. To be honest, actually, we don't do that much about it. Like, we take a blowhorn and, like, look out for the coyote. <laughs> like, we don't do that much with it, but. Yeah. Yeah. The- Probably not the best example. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know where else to going. Well,
0: you know, I I think it's a perfect lead in for it's all like the big picture of things. Right. So like on that scenario, like even if you were, you know, uh, relocating animals or saying, hey, this coyote is eating this, this, this chicken or whatever. Right. We got to get rid of it. You know, it's I mean, that is how nature actually works. I mean, do you think a bear thinks about the rabbit it eats? I mean, no, it's 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 part of the circle of life. But what is not part of the circle of life is humans monoculturing things, ruining soil, ruining hundreds of of different species of animals, of wildlife and for years and generations and potentially for the rest of I mean, for the rest of eternity, because at least we're wild humans here, here, you know, and, you know, people say a lot well, you know, we got to make sure the earth's okay. And what I remind them is like, listen, the earth's going to be okay. Whether or not we are there to see it when it's okay is another option, you know, and that's the big disconnect. Cause I think that a lot of the people that are running these farm organizations keep thinking that, you know, well, if the earth goes, you know, or if, if we go, the earth goes right Ever, And it, it's like, I don't really know if that's actually true. You know, the earth might oh, survive no. just fine, but humans might not suck. be here. Yeah, there'll be there'll
1: be other weird stuff that's here. <laughs> yeah. God so, knows what. Bigfoot, um, Sasquatch. <laughs> mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> well, mushroom. I feel like Paul Stamets said like if like if mushrooms became like this much more intelligent they would have like taken over chicago by now kind of thing like
0: well you know it is funny to think about too because you think about how resilient mushrooms are they literally grow out of feces so it's like try stamping that out you know and i heard this funny take uh you know on plant medicines in general how like the things that that plant medicines come from, especially psychedelics, I mean, they're some of the hardiest things. Ayahuasca vines grow through cement. Mushrooms grow from poop, right? So it's like, you know, if they have a consciousness, they were probably like, all right, we got to make sure we're resilient because by the time the monkeys find out we're important, they will have wiped us out if we're not something super resilient, you know? And so I 100% agree with Stimetz on that one, you know? it's It's really interesting to watch and, you know, I know Paul talks about this a lot too, but you know, when you meditate up against a tree, you feel that energy or you have the opportunity to, right? If you're set up for it, right? And, and by set up for it, I mean, are you eating healthy food? Are you, are you, you know, staying true to yourself? The, this is all part of like the big holistic, you know, whole hyphenistic picture of, you know, living, right? Being alive. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, to get into your direct experience of, of what this has done for you. I'm really interested to hear like, what has changed in your life since, you know getting the farm since really doing this you know there's so much passion coming through your voice on this and i love getting into like what are like the you know qualitative and quantitative changes you've seen within yourself for your family you know for for your for the love you have for the earth for yourself you know what are some of the things that have changed in your life as a result of actually living this lifestyle
1: oh man it's hard to it, i almost feel like i'm too close to myself to <laughs> answer that question like i'm too, uh, too too close to the picture but I I think part of it is because everything has changed. Like basically like the moment that I started connecting with nature uh, and then sort of recognized a sense of unity with it so that the connection with nature became a connection with myself. Mm. I, I entered what I don't think I will ever exit, which is like a moment by moment shamanic journey through like, I argue with my brother all the time about like needing um, to to use plant medicine uh, to access, you know, different uh, feelings or states. And I usually uh, have some sort of internal resistance to uh, to doing a plant journey, even though. I've had generally, you know, healing, transformative and positive experiences with it. And we always have the same conversation. It's like, like those experiences really open up an aperture in my, my mind. And yet they don't close. It never closes. It doesn't shrink down. I don't say, oh, it's time for another journey. You got to pop that, (laughs) that lens back open. It's just, um, I feel like the relationship with nature is, the most important thing to me um it's it is what, a psychedelic
0: you know yeah it
1: <laughs> really feeds me on every level and so that's where i probably would have chosen slightly different analogy than the fuel in the car because we're not machines in that same sense and so there's a, if we were though we would have had other types of fuels that are required to run us right mm-hmm. and so There's there's a spiritual quality to the food, uh, regardless of the the farmer's sense of spirit, Mm. that food is a living being. And has it has it been prostituted and abused and mistreated? And is it totally just, you know, uh, full of chemical fertilizers as opposed to you know nuanced micro relationships that it's developing with fungal and bacterial you know relatives like the they, they look the same like this lettuce and this lettuce they they they've done a clever job of making things look like food and yet it's uh it's not and so when you have the relationship of being directly in connection with nature and the domesticated crops that we farm in nature, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we cannot be, we're not going to the moon Going right? Go to Mars. Right? It's weird to say in nature. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like right. saying on Earth, you know? Yeah. Here, like, here we are. One? Yeah. Food on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> relating to our surroundings on Earth. And as they become sentient beings and as we become interrelated to it and we recognize that the skin is a rather arbitrary line in the sand to draw from where i end or begin Mm -hmm. it's like if you take away the atmospheric pressure on me for example i'm dead so like isn't that isn't that just as integral to my being Mm -hmm. and isn't the sun just as integral to my being alive here um and so uh you're more like in the in the flow right as opposed to thinking that this is my land i'm going to carve it out and i'm going to manipulate it because i'm smart and i have these tools uh it's sort of like um i see it more as like you know we're we're just trying to feel what's coming off the land and 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 take it as it comes, basically, you know, and whatever we can provide to it, we will. We'll go to any length to support it because the riches that come off it are just, I mean, whatever you plant in the ground in this system, that's why you can grow 300 different things. It's all growing at a systemic quality. It's like, this is the best man I've ever had. This is the best blueberry I've ever had. This is the best weed I've ever had. It's like, yeah, (laughs) we, we have this incredible ecosystem here where things are arising at such a quality that you're likely to say that no matter which thing you try. It's not like we're blueberry experts. We're just, you know, we're not experts at all, perhaps, but we're, we're, we're treating the whole system. And um, basically, the last thing I'll say on that is that when the plants have been surrounded by this sort of energy, whether it be just sunlight and moonlight as opposed to, like I was talking to this guy the other day, he was telling me about they're growing food in the basements of Chinatown now uh, in hydroponic systems with LED lights that go on for five minutes, off for three, and the plants, you know, grow at an incredible rate. And, you know, just who knows what, what what's in that water or, yeah. what, what, or anything. <laughs> so there's that, right? And then, you know, as a sensitive person who's familiar with subtle energies, you can imagine the quality of such a food. And then there's what we're doing. And you can just imagine sort of all the how much more like when this plant's roots are interrelating with the entire universe, because not only is the soil obviously just connected as a whole planet, but the 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 starlight, the sunlight, all the different information that's coming down towards the planet uh, is interacting with the soil and with the living beings, us, plants, microorganisms, the water, it's all interconnected together. And so when you prop it all up on um, chemicals and fertilizers, It doesn't have to be sensitive to these things. You could do it in a basement in Chinatown. You just do it. (laughs) But when, when, when you don't have those supports, a couple things happen. One, it has to fend for itself. So it has to develop its own innate health and resiliency to fend off insects from eating it and all sorts of stuff. And so it develops... The things that we want, the terpenes, the polyphenols, the essential oils, that's how it defends itself. Mm -hmm. And that's why our most nutrient-dense foods are the wild foods, the superfoods, because they're just doing it entirely by themselves. But systems that, you know, try to work towards uh, some semblance of a natural system, because it's still obviously a domesticated farm, but systems that try to put natural systems in place. Uh, approach those levels of nutrient density for the same reasons. And then from sort of a more like, you know, woo -woo perspective um, they have all the intention and energy of the practitioner and the space and the sounds and the feelings and beliefs, all these different things that we're sharing. We're working with the crops in accordance with planetary rhythms based on a longstanding now 50, 75 year tradition of biodynamic farmers tracking these relationships knowing that certain days are better for roots, flowers, leaves, you know, depending on the day. And if, just like I'm a Leo, I was born under a certain set of stars mm-hmm. that imprint a quality onto me as a Leo. And this is astrology, not astronomy. Mm-hmm. And a an Emma calendar is linked to the actual, you know, location of the stars. But I'm just saying as an example, you can now understand perhaps why certain qualities exist on certain days that might be imprinting a certain benefit to a root or a fruit for example and so when we work the soil or work the plants on those days it's basically imprinting the water in this space with a a memory of the sort of quality of that day let's say and so the thing becomes more aware of itself it knows it's a root because for lack of a better word it's been sort of pinged with the quality of the rootedness on that day. And so we'll work the soil. Let's say we're planting potatoes. We'll work the soil on a root day. We'll plant the potatoes on a root day. We'll harvest them on a root day. All of this makes the root rootier. And ultimately, it's more sure of itself. It's more full of itself. It's more nutrient dense. It'll store and last longer. These are things that biodynamic farmers anecdotally and occasionally scientifically demonstrate. Um, so I think that the picture that my brother and I were using the other day, that was a lot of fun is that that plant has access to all the information it's tapped in. It's the difference between like a vinyl and the compressed, like CD digital track, Mm. same song, but it's not the same amount of information. Um, and so when the thing has the full spectrum of information, uh, and it's, taking in more of this light energy because it's more sensitive to its surrounding and it's able to metabolize more flow of this energy and nutrition and information through its system. You then as the eater benefit from that, you're taking in that level of information. My brother has eaten a squash off of our farm and had like an enlightenment moment in his head because he, he said for the first time he understood that information is what's coming in there. It's a package of information for your, for your body. It's and potential. some of that information, some of that potential yeah. is the physical fuel you were talking about, but some of it is more cosmic or subtle or non-physical or spiritual. There's other aspects to this being that are probably actually just entirely absent from all those other percentage categories of food systems that I was talking about. So you could, you could left brain yourself into making this thing really look like food. And it might even have a certain percentage of the right nutrients and all that stuff, but it might always be actually, for lack of a better word, spiritually vacant uh, due to the quality of energy and intention that went into that being and how it was treated as a living being.
0: Yes. And you said it perfectly right there. It's full spectrum, you know, and this is like, again, you know, I'll, I'll go in my soapbox here with cannabis. I mean, you know, you see all these people and this is, and you can apply this to anywhere, right? I mean, you know, you talk about what Soylent is right. And, and all these things, it's like, it's just nutrients, you know, they're all created the same. Calcium is calcium. Right. And it's like, it's not, it's not about this, this, the sum of the parts is not equal to the whole you know like and and that's the whole idea here is that full spectrum is how nature intended and there are a couple really interesting things here number one the fact that human beings wrongly assume that we are smarter than nature and and we're honestly i mean we're seeing the repercussions of what that whole system has done to us the other the other thing is values right most people have no idea what their core values are and as a country as a society we have no idea what our values are and that Directly correlates to what our values are in gardening, what our values are with individuals. I mean, you know, you look at what's going on in social media, you know, so many people calling each other out and saying horrible things to each other, all this stuff. It's a lack of values, you know, and that's what I see a lot with food, with farming, with all these things. It's like, hey, you know, uh, we're going to farm this land so we get the most yield. It's like, well, what's that going to do for your kids and their kids, right? Like, no one's thinking about that because their values are not ham. For instance, like, you know, the values that I'm really tuned into right now are honor, freedom, and trust, right? So I honor myself, I honor my relationships, you know? So that way, if someone was like, hey, do you want to start this farm and monocrop will make a ton of money? I'm like, that's not honoring myself, right? And the same way that, you know, I look at, you know, I always use this analogy too, which is like, you know, uh, typical, people who work out versus people who take steroids. But people who take steroids, yeah, they're gonna look gigantic, right? But more often than not, how useful are they in a practical situation? Not at all. And that's the same analogy I make from organic living soil, biodynamic grown soil, Korean natural farming, Practices versus hydroponic. Yeah, hydroponic will grow them faster. Yeah, you'll have gigantic tomatoes that are like franken tomatoes, right? But what is the quality that's actually in that tomato? It's much less, if 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 anything, it's inert, right? Like you were talking about, it's literally inert of the yeah, most it, important component, which is yeah.
1: spirituality. Yeah, but also even just from a physical component. I mean, that's what the Real Food Campaign is demonstrating, that it's actually missing by sometimes 20, 30,000%. <laughs> Sometimes three hundred thousand percent, the actual nutrients that a person yes. is like, oh, I'm eating spinach because I want the antioxidants. It's yeah. Like, oh, well, you're not getting them, so <laughs> th- that's 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 a big problem. It's it's actually
0: you know the the analogy I got there is like you know, I mentioned in the beginning, yeah, they're thinking about 3D printing food. It basically is 3D printed food. I mean, it's a yeah. nerd of nutrients, right? Like, it's not that far off. Like, honestly, now that I think about it, I'm like, well, it probably wouldn't be that worse, that much yeah. worse than the food. Yeah. Have. All right.
1: You guys should go for it. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> and, a pretty good idea.
0: <laughs> and it's like, you know, you can, you can, you can look around, right. At like, you know, we've already gone over a little bit of the vegetarian thing and you know, I got nothing against vegetarians. Just a lot of people like, that their, their, their reason for doing it is like, I don't want to hurt sentient beings. Like that's a challenging reason. Right. And then you see the repercussions of that people making these beyond meats and everything like that, which are literally soy based most of the time, if even anything like that, soy is in my opinion it shouldn't even be food especially now at one point maybe it could have been but it is the most heavily heavily pesticide genetically modified food ever and what people don't understand about genetically modified foods you know what a lot of people don't understand is that they interfere with your dna and they can change how your dna works and that will will catastrophically you know uh mess up for lack of a better term your body and lead to uncontrolled cell division aka cancer all of these things and then you add into that stress and all of these other compounding factors which most people have an abundance of in their lives and it's no wonder why most people are sick you know and uh what's that fat sick and nearly dead you know i don't know if you've ever seen that but it's a great have, documentary but
1: it's super simple equation because you are what you eat right yes and we know that as, from a holistic perspective you know we're eating ideas and beliefs and tv shows and whatever but you are what you eat the plant is what it eats right so if i was a vegan who wanted the highest quality food i would start researching what does my food eat mm-hmm. how does or- how do organic plants grow they eat organic fertilizer that's the answer what's the next question what's in organic fertilizer the answer is going to shock vegans because the answer is factory farmed animals Mm. Blood meal, bone meal, feather meal are the most common ingredients in organic fertilizers. So these are non-organic factory farmed animals that get magically turned into 50 pound sacks of organic fertilizer. And it's a very clever use of a resource. It's It's regenerative in a certain sense. It's using a waste stream and turning it into something you know, that produces food. And yet, like, yeah. And and so it's positive in that sense. On the other sense, those animals shouldn't be factory farmed in the first place. If (laughs) they were all raised on pasture instead of wherever you're growing that soy and corn, and then you ground them up, that would be great. Those would be healthy animals treated well to express their instincts and to live in their natural environment, you know, et cetera, et cetera, slaughtered humanely. That's not what's happening. You can't mm-hmm. go to Joe's Pasture's Chicken Shack and get enough sacks of feathers from him. He doesn't have them. These yeah. are factory yeah. farmed animals that are being fed to organic food. Biodynamic farms and you know other styles have their ways. We use grass-fed cow manure. That's mm-hmm. the digested grass. Yeah. We take digested grass, we put it in a pile with other herbs and flowers that we fermented in the ground. That's our compost. We don't buy fertilizer. We don't buy organic pesticides, uh, insecticides, rodenticides, fungicides. We don't buy any sides. They put the word organic in front of those things, and then you think, okay, that's great. But the important word is the side part. That's the part that's that's killing everything, right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter that it's an organic pesticide. It's obviously there to kill the pest. We're trying to support all the pests at all levels of life. So they balance each other out. This thing is intended to kill the pest, right? Yeah. Kill the herb, kill the insect. Yes. And so, neutralize, sterilize. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just, it's just a, a totally different methodology really. Um, and just cause it's organic doesn't mean that it's holistic or regenerative or cruelty free or clean or nutrient dense. Um, And so really, it just it goes back to what we said in the beginning is people getting to have conversations like this uh, and learn more as they go, find farms and companies that relate with farms that are acting in this way, develop uh, their own gardens at home, even if it's a pot in a windowsill and just some thyme and rosemary in a a tiny little thing that, you know, you get at the, the farm store the uh, seed shop or whatever uh, mm-hmm. you know depending on where you live yeah. uh i'm sure these things are available online for for city people and uh basically uh join csa's go out of your way just like you would you know drive a couple hours to that music festival you're talking about in mm-hmm. ohio like go mm-hmm. out of your way to find the best quality food and medicine that you and your family can afford and if you can't afford it start producing it in small ways, communally with your friends, neighbors, schools, churches, whatever. Take over lawns, go to your police off, go to your police station and ask them if you guys could start an edible food forest in the front lawn. Like people are going to have to get creative, but yes. we need a localized, regenerative food system uh, in in all the, the worst ways. And um, I, I hope talking about it uh, is, is helpful for people to understand that there's various different decisions they can make as individuals to seek out and support these types of farms and to have products like this in their life that could literally be 20, 30, hundreds of thousands times more nutrient dense than um, the other options out there and to see how that feels and to try it out. And um, on that spirit, these products are sold online our website is something that we're still developing and we're super excited about that because we plan to have a lot of information on there. Uh, Not just like a shop, but just genuinely provide as much information as we can and be as transparent as we can. But our products are sold um, on catbeauty.com and uh, as well as a website called doorbyaeb.com. And then on sunpotion.com, which is where we launched originally and they have uh, been kind enough to agree for a discount code for any of the folks who who stayed with us on this rabbit hole today. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to share Code Optimized with your listeners in honor of uh, today's recording over on sunpotion.com. And uh, whenever this airs, I'm not sure, but it'll last for about a month after the air date. So you'll just let me know and we'll get that live before it airs. Awesome. And uh, I hope people get a chance to check it out. All new customers um, for our products are, they get a little invitation to, to have a FaceTime with me as well and discuss any of the stuff we were talking about today or in particular, kind of how to get the most out of our products. But I would love to connect with them and uh, I think that's a wrap for me. I don't know what else I could say. I love that, man. That's
0: beautiful. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about all these things. And for anyone listening, you know, Jared's right. These things, they sound complicated, biodynamic, Korean natural farming, but they're actually relatively easy. And so, you know, for anyone looking for more information, make sure to hit Jared up. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, Jared, I have one more question for you if you're up for it, my man. So... If someone listening could only make one change to highly optimize their life, what would Jared Picard suggest that change be?
1: How are they doing? Are they doing all right? Or are they, they're like, <laughs> There's someone listening to this show, so they're doing all right, you know? Yeah. I, for me, maybe maybe it's like, what do I need to do? I, I, I've i been getting a lot of signs that I need to remember that I'm, I'm being divinely supported. I don't have to figure everything out. Um, I don't necessarily even have to be so goal-oriented. Everything is coming together as it needs to, and I got to just stay in the flow. And so I would recommend people to giggle and relax a little bit and try to stay in the flow. I'm trying to get myself there, dealing with some various stresses around the wildfires, and you know, I could the list could go on. And so trying to stay in the flow and uh, keep my feet on the ground and fill my life with nutrient-dense foods and plant medicines not only not typically hallucinogenic kind (laughs) like i said we don't draw lines between food and medicine Mm -hmm. um so i mean if anything the food coming off the farm is of a medicinal quality i mean it's twenty thousand percent more nutrient dense (laughs) than than your average thing right so it's like we view them as medicine. We view our products as medicine, even though, of course, they're not FDA approved and they're not for internal consumption. It's 100% made of entirely edible ingredients. This could have mm. been on your salad dressing earlier. <laughs> and so we don't draw those lines in the sand, you know? So to answer your question, it would be stay in the flow, I guess. Find the flow, feel the flow. Yes. You <laughs> about the flow.
0: You know, and, and guys, you know, there you have it. And, and honestly, you know, I truly, I truly agree with you, Jared, you know, I mean, really, how do you find foe? You find something that makes you feel alive. You know, you find something that ignites your fire and that is the most attractive thing in the world. You know, you find someone who's passionate about something You're like, I don't even, it could be, you know, speaking dead languages. And you're like, you know what? I've never wanted to learn those, but I really want to talk to that person because they're so genuinely interested, you know, and that is like a human being really being a human being you know, in my eyes. You know, guys, as I stated in the intro, Jared is a true testament to what can become possible when we connect with nature in a way that allows us to understand that we are, in fact, connected to the nature which surrounds us. What transpires as a result is a methodology of working with the land rather than against it, to leave the garden of earth greener than when we found it. The mindset Jared has around cultivating our land is the exact mindset the world is in desperate need of right now, with more and more of our soil turning into dirt each year from the use of chemical fertilizers herbicides pesticides and more being used across our nation and in the world at large my hope for each one of you who have the pleasure of listening to this dialogue between jared and i is that you realize that each and every one of you can make a big impact on flipping the script for mother earth and for future generations to come by learning these techniques practicing them and growing your own food and cutting off the supply of money to these farming practices which are hurting the world at large jared thank you so much again for stopping by today to share your time and wisdom with us and until next time my friend journey well be well much love over to you namaste What is up, everybody? I hope you are all enjoying the show. And I wanted to stop by real quick and share a little bit about our latest podcast sponsor, Freedom Builders. Now, Freedom Builders are a team of graphic designers, website creators, videographers, social media marketing experts, and coaches that build out your custom online business from A to Z. This is a done-for-you service, which means they do the work for you while you get to put your focus back on what you love most, which is coaching your clients and bringing in sales. Now as a former online fitness coach, Mike knows where your struggle points are and exactly how to help you overcome them. This is why he created Freedom Builders, so that you can scale your business while protecting your time and your energy. Now you guys know that delegation is a business superpower, and you can activate this superpower today by scheduling a complimentary call with Mike at freedombuilders, with a Z on the end.com so you can start building the freedom that allows you to take your business to the next level. Alex and I recently connected with Freedom Builders for our Connect with Cannabis build out, and we could not have been happier with the results. With Mike and his team, they were able to go through an outline and create a personalized program for our experience, develop our brand identity, build and design a custom branded webpage, professionally edit our program video content, custom design all of our slide presentations, automate our email marketing sequences, create a seamless payment system for our offer, design unique infographics for our social media content, and guide us through our proven launch blueprint to generate organic leads through our social media. So if you're a coach, facilitator, or healer listening to this ad right now, and you are looking to put freedom back into your life, once again, go to freedombuilders, with a Z on the end, and book your complimentary call today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of the show and I'm wishing you the best day
1: ever.